two or three months ago, I had a conversation uh, with someone here at FCC. And uh, I was asking this person to consider filling uh, a particular leadership role that we needed filled. And uh, so I said, hey, why don't you think about this, pray about this. Um, And here's how he basically responded. Um, He said, why on earth would you ask me to lead this thing when I have so little experience, I don't really know enough, and I have failed the Lord as much as I have? That's the basic response to my conversation and, and question about thinking about leadership. He said, why on earth would you ask me to lead when I have so little experience, I don't know enough to lead people, I've not been trained well enough, and I have failed the Lord as much as I know that I have. <laughs> so I'm in this conversation with this person, I thought about it for a second, I, now that you mention it, you're right, forget it. <laughs> He's a jerk. No, that's not how it went. Um, I, I didn't say anything like, you know, because Jesus is for losers. Um, I just said, listen, we recognize um, that you've shown some commitment, some stick You demonstrate some leadership ability. So we thought we'd give you some additional responsibility and uh, see how it fits. And so that's been going well. Um, he's doing that, continuing to grow. Um, so I want you to, to think about that with me for a second. Think about his response. Why would you ask me to lead this thing when I have so little experience and I don't know enough and I fail the Lord as much as I have? Which is to say he felt totally disqualified. He felt inadequate. He felt ill-equipped. And like his, his own weaknesses disqualified him from helping others. Think about that. That's where most of us live, isn't it? <laughs> we feel like our weaknesses disqualify us from helping others. And I don't know about you, but, but I feel like that all the time. I feel like I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I don't have enough Bible memorized. I don't do quiet time enough space within most days. I don't read the Bible enough. Did I mention that? Uh, I don't do enough in the way of evangelism and outreach to the community, to those who don't know Jesus. I don't do enough on the ground in the community to reach out to those who don't have enough money in the way of material resources. It's like I've got this list of I don'ts. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And and I feel like these weaknesses continue to disqualify me, I feel, uh, from helping people. And I'm a pastor. And a church whose stated mission begins with those two words, helping people. I often feel like my life is held together with duct tape. How in the world am I supposed to help others when I am this aware of my own failings, my own weaknesses, my own past, my own struggles, past, current my own failures. You ever feel that way? Like, like, like God couldn't possibly want to have you on his team uh, because of what you know about you, right? Maybe for you it's your past. Maybe it's your current struggles. Maybe you have the impression that God only uses, you know, the holiest and the most perfect people, like the buttoned up and the socially uh, together professionals, you know, the people who drive nice cars and shop only at Publix, those kinds of people. Wait, did he just rip on Publix? (laughs) No, I did not. Of course not. Have you seen their produce section? It's amazing. Okay, so maybe you have the impression uh, that God uses only the holiest and the most perfect people, the buttoned up, the upwardly mobile professional types of people. Maybe you feel like this. If only they knew... (laughs) 
my past or what I struggle with or what my sins are or what my problems are, if they, if they only knew how much my life really is kind of held together with tuck tape and Holy Spirit, and I don't have it together, if they knew those things, they would not let me in this place. Maybe today you've learned that this is the kind of place, maybe today you walked in because you walked in those doors feeling like church is only for the holy and the most put together people, and, and, and you came in those doors today sensing I'm not sure if I'm going to be okay here because I have this sense that I'm going to be not accepted for who I know I really am. And if they only knew. Friends, (laughs) fellow strugglers, losers, (laughs) welcome home. I I actually mean that. This isn't just a metaphorical this is, this is what this place is. Welcome home. Broken people belong here. In fact, let me go a step further, and this is where Christians begin to get uncomfortable a little bit. Let me go a step further. What if I told you that God actually wants to use your brokenness, your past, even your current struggles, because they are part, your weaknesses are part of how He wants to communicate His healing power. Let me go even a step further. (laughs) For many of us, the forward movement of God's work in your life is a version of this. Please, I'm begging you, let me use your past, your brokenness, your weakness, because they are actually part and parcel of how I want to communicate my grace so it's center stage and you are not. You see, the truth is, other than Jesus himself, other than Jesus himself, God has only ever used broken and messed up people. Never once in history has God used a perfect person to communicate the amazing truth that it is his grace that saves us. (laughs) Never once. So this is a place where you can sit back, relax, and take comfort in the truth that outside of Jesus himself, God has never once in history, never once used a perfect person to communicate the amazing truth that his grace is what saves us. And I'm not just, not just whistling Dixley, make, making this up, talking about my own experience. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul from 1 Timothy 1. As reputable a source as the Apostle Paul. Jump into verse 12. Just look at how he tells his own story. His own story is a model for us. An example for how we can be an example. Look at this, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. He starts off by saying he's grateful to Jesus. Keep reading. Because he judged me, of all people, faithful, worthy of trust, appointing me to his service. Jesus appointed Paul to serve, just like he's appointed us all to serve on a team, hashtag nine habits. He's grateful for having been appointed to serve, verse 13. Then he says, though formerly... I was, look at this list, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. He was a blasphemer, meaning he denied that Jesus is Lord. He was a persecutor, meaning he persecuted God's people. And it says he was an insolent opponent, he calls himself, which is just a fancy way to say he arrogantly opposed the work of God. 
He is grateful because he used to be that. And God uses him now. You see, before he began serving Jesus, Paul had been a Jewish official uh, who pretty passionately persecuted the first followers of Jesus. Uh, We see this in a number of places in the New Testament. In Acts 8, when a man named Stephen uh, was stoned to death for preaching Jesus as Savior, it tells us in Acts 8 that Paul was standing there giving approval to his death. In Acts 8, it says that Paul had begun to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging men and women, it says, and putting them in prison for believing in Jesus. In Acts 9, the first verse, it says that Paul had been breathing out murderous threats against the disciples, against the followers of Jesus. He even said of himself in Acts 26, he said that he was convinced that he ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. But of course, as we see here, all of that changed when he was confronted with his sin of being a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent of God, which is to say that Paul understood that from which he came and who he was now in contradistinction to that. And that's how he tells the story. He says this, but, verse 13, I received mercy, God's compassionate forgiveness towards sinners. I received God's compassionate forgiveness because I had acted ignorantly, in unbelief, which sounds like a funny way to say it, but I think it's a pretty cool way to say it. Think about this with me. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. You see, as a zealous uh, Jewish Pharisee, one of the Jewish sort of head honchos, um, kind of like our elders, um, but alt- altogether not like our elders, <laughs> as, as a zealous Jewish Pharisee, Paul sincerely believed that he had been serving God by persecuting those first Christians. But it says he received mercy. And then verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed. It was more than enough. It overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul says it had to be God's compassionate forgiveness toward him because he didn't know any better at the time. He says... He had acted so ignorantly in unbelief that it had to be God's compassionate heart to forgive. Listen to how he tells the story of his own coming to faith. In fact, here's how bad it is. Was and is. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He says, bank on this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then we're going to marinate on this. Of whom I am the foremost. The King James says Paul calls himself uh, the chief of sinners. Uh, One of my favorites says it this way. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. At this point, everybody's going, amen. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. At this point, everybody's, yes, amen. (laughs) And then it says, in my favorite version of this here, it says, and I am the worst of them all. You start saying that kind of stuff around Christians, that's what I thought. People don't like to accept this second part as the truth about themselves. Which is why I fall dead silent. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, who has done more for the gospel outside of Jesus than anyone in history, himself, in 1 Timothy 1.15, raises his hand high. (laughs) 
And without hesitation, he declares the truth about who he is. And he says, chief of sinners, public sinner number one. Think about how radical this is. It gets even better. Now, I don't know about you, but listen, I've got no shortage of sin in my life. <laughs> Past and present. I've got no shortage of sin in my life about which I continue to carry guilt and shame. And I know full well, as do my wife, my family, my co-workers, but especially my wife, I know full well how much I qualify, like Paul, to raise my hand and say, listen, chief, chief of sinners. That's part of why it's so easy to feel disqualified to be useful for the Lord's work. And then because others around you, when you start to say things like chief of sinner, <laughs> others around you sometimes keep you at arm's length. That confirms this idea to us that we are disqualified from being useful for the Lord's work because we're qualified to stand and say chief of sinners, which is the reality about us. But check this out. Check this out. Let this next part sink in, friends. Paul is saying, I'm the foremost of sinners and God gave me mercy. And then notice how he frames this here. He says, this mercy, God's compassionate forgiveness towards sinners, wasn't given to me, he says, merely for my own salvation. But look at this. Look at verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as public sinner number one, I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. His complete, his total patience, his enough patience. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example. As an example. As a model. Three words that we must get if we're going to understand what Paul's really trying to say here. I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect example, his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Friends, examples aren't examples unless they're displayed and communicated as examples. Examples are not examples unless they're displayed and communicated as examples. For those of us <laughs> who are sure God has called us to keep our stories of brokenness and weakness to ourselves, I say, in keeping with what Paul has just said, an uncommunicated example is not an example. Which will end up functionally teaching fakery of self-righteousness as the way this is meant to operate. He says, I received mercy for this reason, Paul says. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display... <laughs> His perfect patience as an example to those 
who are to believe in him for eternal life. When we refuse to use who we have been and who we are as an example, we are functionally refusing the forward movement of the work of the Holy Spirit to use us for the glory of God and for the communication of grace. Because we want to make sure we're still center stage. Which is not a story anybody really believes anyway. Which means your counterexample <laughs> won't communicate grace. And if you struggle, like I do, like we've talked about here throughout this message, um, if you struggle with a feeling like God can't use you because you're disqualified because of your past, simple question. If Jesus can be perfectly patient with a murderer like Paul, if he can be perfectly patient with a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of God's people, then why would he not also be perfectly patient with you? (laughs) Or are you the exception, the one exception in the history of the universe to the rule that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners? Listen, it's easy. I understand. It's easy to feel, to feel so full of, of guilt and shame about our past, our failures, even our current weaknesses, that we think God could never forgive and accept us, let alone use us to serve him to help people find and follow him. That's some of what's keeping you from moving forward and helping us help people find and follow Jesus. I'm here today, though, to tell you, by the grace of God, that we are wrong about our thinking. That's not how this works, Paul says. Paul is saying, I'm a sinner too, chief of sinner, public sinner number one. He's saying, me too. He's saying, me too. Christ was and he is patient with me. He doesn't just say I was. He says, I am the foremost. So he can be perfectly patient with you too. Paul is telling the story of his life as it's meant to be told. He's communicating his example. He's saying me too. And when we tell the real story of God's work in our lives, the real story of how we need grace instead of how little we need grace and how lucky God is to have us, which is a story that's not the right story and it's a story many of us have learned to tell. It's a fake story. When we learn to tell the real story of God's work in us in that we were weak and broken, and in that we are in desperate need of him. When we tell that kind of me too story, the power of grace is what takes center stage instead of our adequacy. And when that happens, when we learn that lesson, we tell it like Paul. There is tremendous freedom in telling the real story of God's grace. In lots of ways, but let me suggest two. We experience the freedom in telling a Me Too story in two ways. Number one, we experience the freedom of not having to continue to lie about ourselves. We continue to lie about ourselves and keep freedom away if we don't tell the right story. We experience the freedom of not having to lie about ourselves as adequate, which is a false story of self-righteousness anyway. This by itself might be a huge sigh of relief for many of us. Meaning this, instead of wearing a badge 
all the time that says unsavable because of what you know about yourself on the inside. You wear a badge that says saved because of who Jesus is. And the second way that we experience when we tell the real story of God's work in our lives, just like Paul says here in 1 Timothy, if we tell the real story, our failures can help others have hope. Our failures, our weakness, our brokenness, the ways in which grace is something we actually need. We talk about our lives as if grace is something we actually need. Our failures can help others have hope. When we can say, chief of sinners, I've failed, I am broken, I still struggle. When we live that kind of me too life instead of the fakery of self-righteousness, when others hear the real story of grace and it takes center stage and not us, the amazing thing is that God uses our failures to help others have hope. <laughs> Wait, that's how this works? Yeah, yeah, Paul says, that's exactly how this works. Otherwise, God doesn't get glory. You grab it from him. Learn to tell the real story so the grace takes center stage. Friends, in just a moment, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing. And during that song, I want to invite you to come forward in whatever way is most helpful for you in your next step of faith. Uh, maybe today that's... Uh, committing to the church as a member. To be a member at First Christian is to stand as a baptized believer in Christ and to say, um, Jesus is Lord and Savior, which is a, a public commitment uh, to us as we commit to you. Uh, maybe today is a day where you identify with Christ in baptism, uh, which is uh, to say that that old story of my adequacy is dead and the new story of the adequacy of Christ for me is alive in me. Uh, maybe this stuff about Jesus and relationship with God is new and you're not sure where you stand with the Lord. Maybe you have questions. Uh, maybe you're skeptical about this Jesus thing. Um, we'd love to talk with you, start that conversation. Uh, maybe you want to say, <laughs> I am struggling. Um, I need prayer. I need somebody to talk to. Uh, we would love, we would love to have that conversation with you and to pray with you. Um, there are folks from our care team who have been praying during the service, who have been praying for you. They're going to be up front uh, to receive you in whatever way is helpful for you. So that's the invitation for us. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, sing.